So we're turning to, you know, a book in the Bible written by one of those martyrs, you know. The Apostle Paul died probably in the mid-60s, beheaded, tradition tells us. And so we're reading a letter that he wrote to a church where he had gone and suffered there, and now he knew the believers there were suffering. So we're making our way through 1 Thessalonians. You want to turn there in your, in your device or yeah, in, your, in your Bible. We finished, made our way through chapter 1. We're starting chapter 2. And more and more, uh, I'm seeing that the First Thessalonians, the whole focus of First Thessalonians is it's the gospel. You know, we've watched, we've watched in, this, in the first chapter, well, this is what the gospel does. This is how it changes people. He says, remember, he says, you turned from idols to serve the living and true God and how they loved each other. He didn't have to write to them about loving each other and, and how they had... They had, uh, had a changed life. They were now connected to each other. They were loving each other, and, and now they were serving. Those things that the gospel had done. And then last week, we, we circled back and we looked at how does the person have to receive the gospel for that to happen? More than just words. And he keeps saying well, the, the gospel came in words, but it also came with power, and it came by the Holy Spirit. So we just looked at that, that, that moment that, that you came to faith in Jesus, that moment that you decided in your heart that he was your Savior. You're going to bow to him and be your Savior. That's what happened if you have lasted. Because that's the concern that, that was behind Thessalonians. Have they lasted? Have they made it? however long it was uh, these weeks. And then, we, and then today I want to continue on. You're going to just see how it is that you and I need to present the gospel. How, how is it that the gospel has to be shared to have that kind of impact? That's where we are in chapter 2. So I want to read the first 12 verses. And if you're watching on live stream, I just want to let you know we're aware of some of the issues we're having. Our guys in the booth have been dealing with that. Um, and I'm still having issues with my iPad grant. If you want to try to disconnect me and reconnect me, that would be good. Yep. I'm hoping that none of you do that to me while I'm preaching, that you just <laughs> let me stay connected. Yep. So, chapter 2, it says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor do we glory from people, whether from you or from others, Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our, our very own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. And you are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And it's one of those threads you see all the way through 1 Thessalonians. Is he, he reminds them, he keeps coming back to, hey, you know this. You know, you know this is how it was when I was there. And so he's writing to them after we've been emphasizing 
just three weeks there, just three Saturdays. And that's kind of how I settled on to just referring to this season, uh, to this series rather. God, the gospel, and three weeks. You know, what God can do when the gospel is unleashed in just three weeks. And I feel like that's going to be a challenge to all of us that have been followers of Jesus because most of us in the room have followed him for a lot longer than three weeks. And there was a major life change. There were major priorities shifted. Everything shifted and changed in the lives of, of those believers in Thessalonica. People that didn't know each other at all a month ago now loved each other. That's what he says whether they were slave or free, whether they were Greek or Roman, whatever ethnicity they were that had come into, into the Greek world in Thessalonica at that time, they had just found a oneness in Christ that just dominated everything else. And, and, and that's, where, that's where they were. So I want to just, I want to unpack that. How is it that you and I have to share the gospel to have that kind of an impact on people? You know, he, he just lifts out, this is the way I did it when I was there. And remember how I did it that way? And he's always modeling for them of how they should, how they should go on. So, hey, let me just check. Do I need to just close it? Because it's just trying to load. So let me do that. Sorry about that. Okay, it's also actually just gone to the other server. Again. The good news is I have my own private server. The bad news is the iPad doesn't think I have the right to use it. Yeah. So, okay, so I'm back in if you want to. Can you find me? Yeah. Can you find me? That's a, that sound. Okay, there we are. Thank you so much. Okay. So, this is what I mean. I want to come back to this for a second because this is what I mean about the gospel being prevalent in, in Thess- Thessalonians. What it produces, their changed lives. Uh, and then what we said, how it, how it has to come to people. How does the gospel have to come to people to have that kind of change? That's where we were last week. It has to come with words, but then with the power and with the Holy Spirit. And so today, I want to look in at this part. How does it have to be given to have that kind of an impact? Because truly, we don't want people just to change their mind about Jesus. We want them to give him the opportunity to transform their lives. That's what the gospel does. So much so that... That, um, that Jesus will say, if this isn't what you see happening, then the person may not have been genuinely saved. If there's no fruit, then there may not be any life there. You know, you have people that Paul says who will be saved by his fire. They'll, it seems like they'll just barely make it into heaven. They won't have anything to show for their walk with Jesus. I understand you have that, and so you can never say, well, you definitely aren't saved. We can't say because we don't know who that is. But we also have James who says, if, if there's no works, then your faith is dead. It's worthless. You know, it's just words. And so when we share Jesus with people, we want to do that in light of making a life change with them. That's how the gospel will come to people. That's what it brings. It brings the power of God. But when you and I are, are handling it and bringing it to people, what does it have to look like? So that's what I want to look at here because Paul, when he starts off, he says he, he was concerned with them that it might have been for nothing. You know, when he starts out, he says in verse 1, you know, brothers, that our coming to you wasn't in vain. It wasn't empty. It wasn't pointless. It wasn't worthless. Over in chapter 3, when he gets on to why, why he sent Timothy to them and what he's heard about them, he says in, in verse 5, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. I was worried that somehow it was going to be so hard in Thessalonica that Satan would have just convinced you to give up, that he would have called you to come back. You know, in India these days, they're having reconversion ceremonies 
for Christians that they talk into coming back to Hinduism. And so they have ceremonies for that. So they're constantly pressuring people. Listen, you're Indian. Part of being Indian is being Hindu. Same happens in Somalia. We're Somalians. A part of being Somalian is to be Muslim. And so just that consistency and that pressure. And Paul was worried that they'd given into that pressure. And so he, he says he didn't want to find out that they went there for nothing. You know, a poorly shared gospel is pointless. It's, it doesn't amount to anything. A person might agree with the facts or it might just be about the facts, but it will be pointless in the end because it won't, it won't have any kind of change. He says, you know, it wasn't pointless. And now he starts to talk to them about why it was. How was it they shared the gospel that it impacted them? How is it that you have to talk to people You know, we're all going to talk to them differently, but how is it that you have to tell people about Jesus in a way that will will make an impact? So I want to walk through that. He says, you need to share the gospel boldly. You know, boldly, we think of bold people, and it's easy to slide over into thinking people that are really loud or super confident, and they slide over into arrogance. I think I've mentioned one of my family members that told me one time they share Jesus till people get saved or angry which is a terrible approach, you know. And being a middle child, I've always thought, yeah, and I'm always the next person to try to talk to that person, and they're still fuming from you, you know. The, the bold is not loud, it's not, it's not conceited, it's not arrogant. That word boldness, it just means that you feel free to talk. You know how you say to people sometimes, you know, a friend sometimes, you might say to them, hey, can I tell you something? Or can I speak freely? You're saying to them, can I be bold? When you're bold, you don't feel the constraint of I can't say this. Now, that's not necessarily nervous because some of you get nervous when you start talking about Jesus. You can be bold and nervous. You can be bold and blow it. You know, you can walk away from talking to someone and who hasn't? I thought, man, did I, I mess up that opportunity. Holy Spirit, thank you so much that you are, you are the fixer. You know, you're the cleanup artist, you know, because I, I just flubbed that. I got too lost on things. I lost concentration, whatever that is. You can be bold and still flub it up. Boldness is just, hey, I feel free to talk about Jesus. And, and I'm, not, I'm not tailoring what I'm saying. I'm not going to minimize the facts of the gospel. I'm just putting it out there and putting it out there gently. You, we've all got our style of doing that. We've all got our, the approach that we like to use with that as long as you do that so that you're not constrained in any way, that's boldness. And he says to them, you know, our coming to you wasn't in vain. We'd already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, but we had boldness in God to to declare to you the gospel of God in in the midst of much conflict. Even though everything around us was telling us, just be quiet, we had boldness, which is also that other thing comes into play with this. And this is the word that comes to mind when I read that verse. Defiantly. Paul shared the gospel defiantly because his own safety was telling him, don't do this. And the Greek world was telling him not to do this. Everywhere went, the Jews were telling him, stop doing this. And they they were getting worked up about it. He says, we were just in Philippi. And in Philippi, remember from Acts 16, he gets beaten with rods, he and Silas. They get thrown in jail. And they put in stocks overnight in the inner part of the jail to make sure that they don't get out. And so they're bruised and and they're mistreated. So he uses the two words of what went on physically there. He says, we suffered physically 
and we were shamefully treated. Because remember how they get out of Philippi? They said, uh, hey, the, the people, the rulers of the city have said, you can go now. And they said, we're not going now. We are Roman citizens. And Roman citizens are not supposed to be beaten. And so remember, everybody in the city, officials, got all really nervous and came to them and just begged them to leave quietly. So Paul says, we, we suffered physically and then we were humiliated. We were, we were shamefully treated. And so they had 100 miles from, from Philippi to Thessalonica to limp their way and think about that. Okay, probably when we get to Thessalonica, same thing's going to happen. What do you think we should do? What do you mean, what do you think we should do? We have no choice what we got to do. We got to just keep sharing Jesus. There's a defiance to that. There's a defiance that some of us have caved into. Boy, the last couple times you shared Jesus, it did not go well. You didn't do well, or maybe you did well, but the person on the other side was not hearing it. And so you or I just decided, boy, I'm just going to step back. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for people. And we start to get our, get, lock ourselves into that room of, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm better at just praying for people. You know? and, and so we kind of push it off instead of just being defiant that I don't have the gift of evangelism. In fact, Pastor Ted and I have talked several times. Is there a gift of evangelism? It's never listed in the, it's never listed in the list, and yet we're all command the places where you do find it. It's places where it's written to all believers to be bold. We've all been sent out to make disciples, and we have different ways of doing that, and it's going to take defiance to do that. Some of you, it's going to be defying your personality, that you're an introvert, and, and you're not an extrovert, and boldness isn't a word that people would label you with if you go with boldness the way you know, we just stereotypically think about it instead of what the Bible's saying is just speak freely. Just tell people your story. Tell people what's driving your life. Just tell people who Jesus was. Tell people that there is a God of heaven who's gone to ridiculous lengths to show his love and, and to make it possible for people to be saved. Just defy those things that tell you not to do that. Because so, he's saying... Listen, we had suffered and been humiliated in Philippi, and we got there, it happened again. And so they get to Thessalonica. The reason they're only there three weeks is because the Jews drive them out. They're having this, they're having this one place, remember, they're having this huge riot, and they're all in the city, and the people are there, and they're shouting down the, peop the believers. They want the believers to come out and speak, and Paul says, I'll go out and speak to them, and all of his friends are, no, you won't. No, you won't. And so, I don't know how they did it. They drew straws and sent somebody else. Uh, I, love, I love Thessalonians. I've referred to this so many times, but I always feel like Timothy, he was like Paul's smoke jumper. You know, even we're going to find out later in Thessalonians that he's, he's worried about what happened in Thessalonica, so he t sends Timothy there to find out what happened. I always think of that, that meeting in the room, that, boy, I'm worried about Thessalonica. Me too. We've been praying for them. I know. I hope they've made it. So do I. You do, Timothy? You're burdened for them? I am. I'm really burdened for them. It's too dangerous for me to go there. Why don't you go there? You know? And there again, you know, all of us middle children can identify with that. You know? You go. You just go. And Because he says in chapter 3, but now Timothy's come back. There's just a defiance that people have. Certainly our, our brothers and sisters in the persecuted world, they have a defiance that they just serve Jesus with. And it's different in our culture. It's, it's not going to be different for very long. But we need to bring the same kind of defiance that 
I don't care if my personality is telling me not to do this or if the people around me are telling me not to do this. I'm going to do this because Jesus tells me to do this and he's worth knowing. People need to know him and they need to experience what he can do in their lives. You read through Thessalonians and you just keep finding all of these different words for what happened there. What Paul had experienced and then what had happened when they were all together in Thessalonica. That was a normal church day in Thessalonica. That's what it was like to follow Jesus. And so to continue to follow him and to share him, you had to be defiant. It doesn't really matter what it costs me or it doesn't really matter what people think of me. I'm going to do this. And you have to do this well. You know, remember Howard Hendricks saying one time, sometimes we suffer for righteousness sake and sometimes we suffer uh, for stupidity sake. You know, sometimes we bring things on ourselves. And then we want to say, well, that's um, suffering for Jesus. And you're not. You're not. You want to do this well, but you also want to have this, this element of, of defiance there. Because this is what hit me reading this and studying this and what we know of Scripture. The gospel has always, has always been and always will be surrounded by conflict. It's always going to be like that because the starting point is to tell people that they're in trouble and that they're wrong, which is... People don't want to hear that, but that's the starting point of our gospel. Say that well, but that's the reality of it. So if you tell people that are proud and think they have their life together and they're proud of how they built their life, there's going to be some pushback to that. Or if you tell people to follow Jesus, you have to lay your life down. That's not a message that people want to hear. More and more, one of the things we need to understand is the gospel is not just that salvation message. The gospel is that message of just following Jesus. And so... Even sometimes when we talk to each other and when we have to confront things that are going on, there may be conflict there. The gospel will always be surrounded by conflict. And so you get this moment in Acts chapter 4, one of the first moments where there's pushback for these apostles without Jesus. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish rulers who had decided Jesus would die, they call them, Peter and John, and they charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You have the government telling them they can no longer speak in the exclusive name of Jesus. And, and this is their answer. Peter and John answered, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you have to judge that. We can't help speak of what we've seen and heard. I never, I, I love this verse. And I've referred to it a bunch, as you know. I never really connected. They can't stop talking about what they saw with Jesus and what they've heard. They can't help talking about their experience with Jesus and who that's convinced them Jesus is. That's, that's the part that we need to just press into. I can't stop talking about what Jesus has done in me, what I've seen him do, and what I've heard him say. That's the gospel. To help you understand who, who he is and what he can do in your life, what he's done in my life, and what it is he has said and so if we're going to share the gospel so it makes an impact on people and has a Thessalonian-like impact, it's going to be because we share it defiantly. We, we step past ourselves. You step past the family members who tell you you need to just chill. You know, you step past people that don't want to hear it anymore. You need to be wise and discerning. You know, do I step back and pray for this person? Do I wait for some indication that they're ready for the next step or whatever that is? But in your heart, you are, nobody is telling me to be quiet. We can't, I can't help this. 
there's that defiance element to it. And then Paul, he speaks about his motives that are there. It must have been something that just followed him wherever he went, that his people accused him of different motives. In fact, one of the things I was reading said that this was kind of the message that seemed to be playing wherever Paul went, that if we can succeed in awakening distrust in the messengers, the message will die a natural death, which is true. You know, you take out a pastor, or if a pastor takes out himself, and a lot of people are going to wonder if this thing even was real at all. If we can discredit Paul, we can discredit the message. And so he speaks a lot about how they know. That's going to be a phrase you find all the way through Thessalonians, for you know, you remember those, those things. And so you share the gospel with good motives because there are tons of impure motives or selfish motives there. He says in verse 3, Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our heart. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor the pretext for greed, God's witness, nor do we see glory from people, whether from you or others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. He speaks of those things so significant, he's going to circle back around to that in verse 10. Your witnesses in God also, how holy, righteous, and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Paul says to the Galatians, he says, listen, if I was trying to please men, I would never be sharing this gospel. You know, if I was trying to please people, I would have come up with a different gospel. Because in Galatians, they're, they're accusing him of making up this gospel, that it wasn't true. Yeah, you would come up with a gospel that would make people feel better about themselves if you were trying to please people. You would not start with a gospel that says, you are in terrible trouble with God. He sees you as a sinner. Everything you do has sin tainted with it, and there's nothing you can do to go to heaven. Thanks, I feel better about myself already. You know, that's the starting place of the gospel. But you have to understand what outrageous thing Jesus has done for you. You have to understand how deep your need was. And so Paul says, I came to you with this message, and I, and I even brought the message. Well, I wasn't trying to flatter you. I was reading somebody said, flattery is making the other person feel better than they are. And it's saying things about another person that just aren't true. I didn't come with flattery. I didn't come with impure motives. You know, when he says impurity in verse 3, there's like a sexual overtone to that. I wasn't, I didn't come with unclean motives. I didn't come with greed to exploit you. He says, you know, I could have made demands as an apostle. He could have demanded that they put him up. He could have demanded that they paid him. But in most of the places Paul went, he refused to do that. And so he worked. Uh, He worked as a tent maker so that he wouldn't have to put that burden on churches. In 2 Peter, when Peter's confronting false teachers and he knows he's about to die and so he's writing this flurry of a letter he'll say to them watch out for these false teachers they come in and they're greedy and they work their way into exploiting weak women and so paul's saying peter's saying watch out for these person paul is saying i'm not one of these persons and you know that i wasn't one of these people when i was there your motive my motives were good when you share when you share jesus with people your motives need to be good you know, I'm hoping, that, I'm hoping that through the series, we launch ourselves out to be more committed to share Jesus, to be more driven to do it, but not so that you feel better about yourself or not better so that you feel better about, boy, look at, what I, look at what I'm doing compared to other people or I do this more than other people or I do this better than other people or these people are so bad, they need the gospel. I hope your motives are pure. That it's like the one person said, all we're doing is being 
one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. I love that picture of the gospel because it shows where we are and all we're doing. You know, we're like the man in John who is, who is blind and now he sees. He says, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know all the theology. All I know is that I was blind and now I see and he did it. You know, just the motives are just to make Jesus known. Paul's only motive when he went to Thessalonica was to be faithful to Jesus and make Jesus known so people would know that Jesus changed their life. That's the trick we have, really, in road recovery, isn't it? For people that come to road recovery and they sense that there's something different about that meeting, to know that it's not about the big book and it's not about a higher power. It's about Jesus Christ and what he says in God's word. And so, so we open the Bible and people regularly say, man, I didn't know the Bible spoke to this kind of stuff. Let's see, we have good motives there. These are just helping people find Jesus. And that's our only motive is to please him and make him known. And so, so he went there and he went there with these good motives. It says in, in 2 Corinthians, when he writes to them, he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, that whatever it is you're doing in his name, whether it's, whether it's something on a regular basis you know, Shannon and her team involved over Christina's house. Those of you that have been involved in kids' church, when, you know, when we were able to have that, or Max and Soph and youth ministry, or Dave and Jess with Road to Recovery. It is his ministry. We just get to do it. Amen. I mean, hey, that's a, you need to pray, Pastor Ted and I stay there. This is his ministry. And he takes that seriously, you know. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I mean, it's, the Corinthians just had all kinds of accusations against Paul. And he says, listen, we have, we have just renounced all of these you know, false ways of presenting the gospel so that we can do this well. So we can, people can know, you know, I don't agree with them but I feel like they really care about me. I feel like they're motivated because they think, you know, they believe I'm going to hell or because they feel like I'm missing out. I feel like their motives for me are good. If your motives are good, that's going to lead to a gospel that changes people, that transforms people. And then here's an area in this day we need to, we need to balance in. Share the gospel gently. You know, boldly, where you're saying what needs to be said, you're saying it well, but where you have this gentleness, because that's where Paul comes to, and he probably comes to about the most gentle picture you, could, you can think in our lives. He says in verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That is the picture of gentleness. You know, you have a baby, you, you know, your mom, it's your first baby, and now dad wants to hold that baby. And you're convinced he has no clue how to hold the baby, <laughs> even if they have. You know, it didn't matter that, you know, my brother, I was, I was 11 when my brother was born. So I've got baby down. And it didn't matter because those nurses and Cindy, they were, no, no, you got to put your hand under their head. And then you got to kind of hold them like this. No, no, not like that. Don't, you know, there's nobody as gentle or as protective as a mother. Here, the, here where he's going to go with that as a mother, a nursing mother with her own children. I mean, some of you d did or have done daycare and, and you cared about your, those children. I believe you cared about those children. 
you can't care about other children the way you do your children. You can take care of them the same, but there's just something in your heart for your own children. So, so the Holy Spirit carefully puts that out with, through Paul. Remember when I was there and I was sharing the gospel with you, I did that gently. You know, Paul, he's going he's gonna to say things that need to be said. He's going to say them directly. You know, a nursing mom has been known to say, you know, what's the matter with you? Why can't you sleep? You know, or whatever that is. But there's this gentleness there that he had with, that he had with him. Hey, I was gentle. I didn't try to drive you where you needed to go. I was committed to getting you where you needed to go. But, but I did that gently. Moms know that. Moms, moms also know that this thing is going to be a mess. But they're committed, even though there's going to be a mess. I remember in a counseling class uh, when Minerthur Meyer were writing books as Christian psychiatrists, uh, Meyer said to us one time in class, he said, it's no wonder women suffer from postpartum depression. Wherever a baby has a hole, there's something coming out. You know, <laughs> You know, I didn't have kids then, so it was kind of like, what, what? And then I learned, just there's just it's going to be a mess, you know. Where are fathers in the mess? Yeah, yeah. Can I get an amen from your mom? Say, yeah, this one's for you. This is for you, you know. But moms, uh, moms know this is going to be a mess, but I'm committed to it. You know, it's going to be messy. This kid is going to throw up on me. There's going to be messy diapers. There's going to be mess outside of diapers. But I am, I'm here with this child. I mean, when, when Joy, Joy and Joe were little, it was back in the days, you know, I still had to wear a suit to church. And just, you know, you went through your suits and they'd bring the cleaners because you always had a little white spot right there, right? You know, after service, you're not putting a, nap, you're not putting a napkin or a diaper there. You're just holding them. And they're constantly going to give you that little spit-up love gift moms are there for the mess and they're gentle in the midst of a mess you're going to share the gospel with people whose lives are messy i hope you are you know that that's one of the things that those of you who are new usually mention about cottage hill it's one of the things we love about cottage hill is that it's okay to talk about messes here and it's okay to come in messy here we know it's messy we know you're going to be sharing the gospel with people whose lives are a mess and so we don't need to talk about living together right now. We just need to talk about Jesus and being saved because that's the need of the moment. There's, there's mess, but we're trying to stay on what's the focus. And then once, once we come to Jesus, now we need to talk about cleaning up this mess and, and living in that. But you have to be comfortable being in the mess and being able to speak gently into people directly and gently at the same time. That's, that's a gift, but that's how Paul did it. He said, remember when we were there, we were gentle like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you'd become very dear to us. We just gave you our whole lives, which is also what mothers do. You know, you get into the argument with your mother when you're a teenager. I've given up everything for you. And they largely did, you know, for us. They gave up sleep. They gave up health. Most moms are the first ones, if the baby's crying, they're up and gone. Partly because God has given most dads the ability to sleep through that. And, uh, and most times, because it didn't matter if dad got up, mom wanted to know. We want to know what's going on. 
It's just wired into moms to deny themselves. And that's Paul saying, hey, when I was there, we just, we became so connected to you that we just shared our lives with you. We weren't sharing just the words. We were sharing our lives, which is how the gospel has to be shared. It can't just be that you have something you want to talk to this person about, so you step into their life, you talk about Jesus, and then you step back. Boy, what happened in Thessalonica was Paul just shared his whole life. They got to see how he did life. They got to hear about his life priorities. They got to hear about his life change. They got to hear about his life before Jesus. They got to spend time with him. He says, we didn't just share the gospel with you. We shared our very selves. That's the word souls there that he uses. We, we shared down to the core of who we were with you so that not only would you come to faith in Jesus, but you could see how this was lived out. That's one of the things we've been challenged just challenging ourselves and reading some on about discipleship, that discipleship isn't just here are these truths you need to know. There needs to be a mentoring piece to discipleship where life gets shared. This is, how, this is how we do this. This is how you live this. This is how you respond to this. And this is how you, you live through this. It's through an open life. Paul, Paul's dealing with Corinthians and they're just shut off to him. And so he writes to them in, in 2 Corinthians, and look at how he says about how he is living his life in front of the Corinthians. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants with, of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. For Paul, that was normal. That was the normal serving Jesus. You and I look at that list and we say, that, I like that list. I'll, I'll take that list without afflictions, without the beatings, definitely no riots, no sleepless nights. But to him, hey, this is what my life is like. He goes on, he says, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we're treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. I mean, he's, we have opened up our whole lives to you. We've told you our story. We've invited you into our lives. Open your hearts to us. Boy, that's, that's sharing the gospel. Whether you're helping a person come to faith in Jesus or you're helping a person grow in Jesus, you will be most effective and the gospel will last when you share that from an open life where you're willing just to be open about your life and share life with people. And then he goes on and he starts to talk about dads. And I was trying to think, what are the words we put? He says in verse 11, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the highest standard Paul set yet. You need to walk worthy of God. Just you need to be consistent of who he is and how what he says and how he says we ought to live. And so he puts these three words for, for dads. They exhort, they encourage, and they charge. 
important for, as dads, on a side note, important for us to see in the middle of that sandwich is encouragement. You know, you're directing and you're exhorting and you're instructing, but the middle of that, we need to be constantly encouraging. We need to be constantly encouraging our children who get it and who are walking in it and, and, and making us proud. We definitely need to be constantly encouraging in the midst of exhorting those, those of our kids who aren't getting it who are doing it their way in spite of what we say. They just constantly need our encouragement as we exhort them and as we charge them. That's just an important one for me to hear as a dad and as a grandfather now. It's an important one. It's an important one for you to hear as well. So I broke that down to just the cheering and charging. That's how Paul looked at himself doing. How's, how's your dad? Those, those of you who had dads and when I, was, when I was young, my dad was around. My dad was an athlete. It was one of the things I, I adored about him. I loved sports. He loved sports. He'd come like your dad would come and be there, and your mom would be in the stands. If your mom was stereotyped, your mom would be in the stands. Come on, honey, you can do it. It's okay. It's okay, honey. Maybe next game you'll stop striking out, or maybe next game, you know, you'll score on the right goal. Those things. Mom, mom in the stands, right? But his dad, dad is, come on, you can do this, do this. No, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Okay, you got this. Keep your eye on the ball. Do that good. No. Run faster. Run faster. You got this. You got... Right? Am I right? I've been. I've been that dad. Yeah, I've also been that dad. What's the matter with you, ref? You know, so, so I'm going to stop there. But right, that's dad, right? Cheer and charge. What a great thing to bring to the gospel. Hey, I, really, I see what you're doing. You're really doing a great job on this, but I need to help you with this. I need to help you with this. Because if we're not correcting, especially people that are just starting out with Jesus, if we're not correcting them young, they're going to stay in, a, in this pattern that they develop while they're new believers. Or they're going to think it must be okay. And so we cheer them on. Hey, I'm so glad you're doing this. Hey, I can, I can see changes in your life. Really? Because usually you don't see changes in your own life. You know, you need other people to speak that into you. Exhort, encourage, charge. But you also also need to be doing that charge thing. That has an element of intensity and authority to it. Charge, doesn't it? Paul will say, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God, preach the word. That has some weight to it. So, so we're sharing the gospel with people maybe after the fact of, of coming to them. And we are encouraging them, but we're also charging them, hey, here's an area of your life we've got to talk about. Or here's something I know you struggle with, and here's what God says to that. How do we figure out, you know, how do we figure out get you free from that or to, or to understand how this works now? That's, that's how it worked. Boy, in Thessalonica, the gospel worked because the gospel was the gospel. It worked because of the way that it went. That's what we saw last week, that it came with power and the Holy Spirit. That's what it takes for the gospel to change a life. We see now on Paul's side of things, what had to be in place for the gospel to change people like that? On our side of things, what needs to be in place for the gospel to change people and keep changing people? Just the, the, same, the same model that, that Paul gives out to us. Next, we're going to come back and we'll see, okay, but what has to happen on the other person's side for this to happen? What was it about the Thessalonians that made them change like this? So this is all we see. This is just the reality. This is just God and this gospel, and what it can do in three weeks. Because one of the things I wanted to cultivate in me, I hope it's going to cultivate in you, one of those things is just, God, 
I want you to, I want you to keep changing me. I want the gospel to have this transforming effect on my life, even so many years down the road, because either I've arrived or there's more of the gospel to experience. That's where I want us all to be. And I want us to be in this thing of, boy, I want to share this thing so I get to see the gospel do that to somebody. So let me pray, and then the team's going to come up and just lead us out. Lord, thanks for these books of the Bible that you've given to us so that we have truth, we can know what truth is, and we can know who you are, and we can know who we are, and we can know what it is you have us to do. Really, I'm, I'm just appreciating so much this book. You've given us this snapshot of what happened in, in a time and place with people like us and just the, the transformative power that the gospel had. We wanted to have that transformative power right here, God. We want it to happen at Cottage Hill because we know you haven't changed and the gospel hasn't changed. We want it to happen outside of this place with people that need the gospel. We want to see this happen to people that are far from you right now, but who are going to belong to you. Yeah, we dare to believe next Sunday or the Sundays to come. And then we just want to be available to you to, to see them walk into life change like what happened in Thessalonica, in a place where logically they should have just been snuffed out, their faith should have been snuffed out, but it held and grew. So let that be what happens here and use us to make that happen, we pray to the glory of your name. Yeah, amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand together.